Well, thanks, Joe, for leading us in prayer this morning. <clears throat> and um, today we're looking at serving, as I mentioned earlier on. And serving is something which is um, it's one of the seven characteristics listed on our website. Um, and it talks about how we love to serve God and serve one another and serve further afield as well. Which is great. Which is brilliant. Love that idea. But let's make sure it's more than just a statement on the website. Let's make this a reality for NCBC. Because serving is at the heart of the Christian faith. Like I said earlier, that, that passage that I read where Jesus himself identifies himself as a servant, the Son of Man, did not come to be served but to serve. It just goes to show how, how fundamental serving is to who we are, to what we are. And in Acts chapter 6, as, we, as we've worked through some passages where we see the early church grappling with, with its own identity, working out what, it, what, what form it should take, how it should be set up, and we've looked at some of, the, some of the mistakes and some of the things they got right, and we've acknowledged that we shouldn't hold the early church up as the perfect model, but we should certainly look at the early church and, and learn from their experiences. And certainly there was a time in the early church where it became apparent that you can't have a small group of people doing everything. It became apparent that actually God equips the church with a whole range of skills and experiences and, and approaches and perspectives. He equips us with all the different tools that we need, but sometimes we need to take a step back and recognize how we should be set up to best serve God and serve our community. And so in Acts, Acts chapter 6, we read at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so the church was growing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because the, their widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution of food. So there's a, a practical moan. There's a moan. And churches, like any other organisation that are full of people, have moans. Of course. Because when we see, come across a situation that we're not happy with, we tell people. That's a good thing. We should tell people. Otherwise, nothing can happen about it. And so, sure enough, the, the leaders, the disciples, they receive this, this moan. And they think, oh, we're trying, to, we're trying to spread the gospel. We're trying to get out there and, and take the, the power of the Holy Spirit and share it with new people. We're trying to face the challenges and there's persecution. There's ones that would have us killed. And you're moaning about who comes first in the dinner queue. Seriously, guys, come on. But instead of having that, that frustrated, very human response, they demonstrate the maturity to step back and do something about it. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they say, okay, we've got this, we've got this issue. We need to gather, gather people together. We can't do everything. 
You know, we've got, we've got this massive task. We've got this, this mission to go and to, to spread the gospel to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's quite a big mission statement. That's quite a big task. We're going to focus on that. But if we're focusing on that, we don't want the, the, all, these, all these new believers that have recently come to faith, we don't want them to start bickering amongst themselves. We don't want them to, be, to start, start feeling divided. Because we know that there is one that would love to drive a wedge into the early church. Because this is big. This is going to be a big movement. And if, if we allow division to get in right now, then it's going to be terrible. We're going to find ourselves in a position in, in hundreds of years' time where every town and village you go to has got all loads and loads and loads of different types of churches because of all these divisions and arguments. <laughs> that worked well. And so they say, choose seven from among you. It's important to note, they didn't say choose seven who are great with catering. Or choose seven who don't take any nonsense and will tell people how they're going to be served. They don't say choose people who are good at organising. No, the importance in any role in the church, first and foremost, is that anyone who takes on responsibility, who takes on a certain role, serving the church, serving God, representing the kingdom of God, is someone who is known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Full of the spirit and wisdom. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So these are the guys who have been called to oversee the distribution of food, a very practical office within the early church. And yet, there is an insistence that there is a sense of calling on them. They are full of the Holy Spirit. They are full of the wisdom of God. There is nothing dismissive about this. There is nothing belittling about this. This is not sort of a, a holy rank structure where you've got the ones who do the spiritual serious stuff and then you've got the, the practical overseers. No, it doesn't work like that. Instead, when these men are called to take on this responsibility, full of spirit and wisdom, the first thing that happens is that the apostles pray for them and lay hands on them. Again, the early church put prayer Above anything else, at the start of every initiative, at the start of every ministry, there is prayer. Prayer must underpin everything that we do, everything that we are. We must ask God for his blessing. We must give ourselves to God. We must, we must give ourselves as an act of service to God. And they do that. And what happens? What's the response in verse 7? So the word of God spread. That was the response. That was, that was what happened when these people, when this church, when these men were faithful. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So not only was it, 
Not only was there sort of the, the, the masses, but there was priests who were beginning to listen, beginning to hear. God was starting to, to reach out to more and more people. Every echelon of society was being, was being touched, was being influenced. God honoured the early church when they stepped back and showed the spiritual maturity. I love the fact that the disciples who had spent three years with Jesus, they'd spent that time following him, listening to him. We only have a fraction recorded of what happened. There would have been days and nights when they were traveling or camping, sitting around a fire, talking with Jesus. There would have been teaching and wisdom that was imparted from Jesus to the disciples that we know nothing about. And yet the disciples still had the humility to say, there are people in our midst who are better suited to take on this responsibility than us. That humility is one of the basic requirements of any servant. To be a servant isn't being pushed around. It doesn't mean you're being told what to do. It doesn't mean that you're spineless and limp. Being a servant means that you have the courage have that humility to say I can't do everything so I'm going to focus on this and I need others to focus on this the disciples showed humility and it's because they recognised they recognised that the church is something bigger than one person I used to work for an American company years ago and there was, there was a um, uh, a guy from Texas, little bloke, a shock of white hair, and he had this orange permatan, looked like he'd been dipped in creosote. And um, he was very much um, the, the face of the company. His name was Joe. And every morning you got into work and there was a, an email from Joe and it would be sent out to about 12,000 employees across the, across the world. And it was, it was almost evangelistic, I've never met anyone who got so passionate about insurance broking of all things. Oh dear, oh dear, I never did, I'll tell you that much. But he was almost evangelistic and you'd think that this was the most exciting business in the world to be in. But a lot of people didn't like him very much. Now of course, when you're at the top of the tree in a large organisation like that, you often have to make decisions to make you unpopular, but it was more than that, because everything was about him. Every deal that was done, there was a headline linking him to it. Even if he had had nothing to do with it at all, everything was linked to this one individual. And there were other people who had put in hours and months and years of their lives to, to securing some, some really significant bits of business, and they didn't get a mention, and they never got any credit. And of course it was nonsense because one person cannot do everything. It just doesn't work like we're not cut out for that. And in the early church, the disciples recognized this. They recognized what Paul later wrote to the church in Rome when he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I love that. Each member belongs to all the others. 
So we've just welcomed Matt and Isabel into membership. They belong to us as a church now. <laughs> Don't worry, Matt. It's, um, we, we won't take any drastic action. But all of us who are members of this one body, we all have a part to play. And so if we belong to each other, then if we, if we don't play our part, if we don't give ourselves to the church, then we're depriving the body of a part. If I wake up one morning and, and my leg says, no, not today, then it's depriving me of, of mobility, of stability. I can't get out of bed without assistance. I need every part of my body to be working, otherwise... I, I, can't, I can't work. I can't achieve what I want to achieve. I can't function. And Paul says the same is true of the church. God gives us a skill set. He gives us so many different types of people, so many different backgrounds and outlooks and experiences and resources and, and qualifications, so much. But a church can only function if every part of the body plays the role that God has called it to. He goes on. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's, if it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So whatever gift we've got, whether it's one of the sort of the spiritual gifts like, like prophecy or, or speaking in tongues or something like that, then, then use it. But if it's a gift of encouragement, if it's a gift of generosity, then use that. Because most importantly, each and every one of us has been given the gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And there is no gift greater than that. I love it when we see James and John having a little argument. They come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> what a thing to say to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says, you can almost see him raising his eyebrows. Oh, all right, chaps, go on in. What is it? What do you want me to do? And they reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in glory. In other words, let us be your favourites. We want to have the, the best place. We want to be either side of you. That's what we want. Can we book our tickets? But of course, it's not a case of booking tickets, of securing the best seats. When we come to church, we're not coming to see a show. We're not coming to be entertained. Hopefully we enjoy it, but we're not coming here to be entertained. Because to be entertained is to see someone standing at the front and say, go on, sing, dance, talk. It's to say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus cuts them down. Because of course that's not the right attitude, is it? That's not the attitude that we should bring to church. The attitude that we should bring to church is one that says, hey, look, I'm here, what can I do? How can I serve? Who can I pray for? 
What can I, what can I go and, and, and move? Is there any furniture that needs moving? Is there any people that need an arm around them? Is there any cups that need to be washed up? Is there a minister who's forgotten his watch this morning and is too busy talking to someone and has forgotten that the service has started and he should be there? Sorry about that. Jesus says to James and John, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Don't, don't try and elevate yourself above people. Don't seek status and high position. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the attitude that we should bring to church, to every element of our church, is first and foremost a desire to serve. If we're part of a church, then then we're not a sniper. Every church has snipers. People who sit at a distance, and just every now and then, every now and then you're made aware of their, their presence because they line up a shot. There's something you say or something you do, and suddenly, a bolt of criticism comes in. And you go, oh, oh man, that hurts. That hurts. There's no place for snipers in church. Instead, instead, there is place for people who say, how can I help? Might be people say, have you thought of doing it like this? Because I'd be really happy to get involved and to help and to support. You see, that's not sniping. That's an arm around the shoulder. That's encouragement. That's, that's constructive and helpful. I've been in a church before where there was a regular sniper. And it got to the point where every time that they spoke to me, I just ignored them. I gave them a time of day and I was pleasant, but nothing they said to me did I take on board. And the reason for that, it might not sound very ministerial, very godly to take that attitude, but the reason for that is because if a sniper hits you enough times, you're gone. It's not just from a minister's perspective, for anyone in the church, if, if all we receive is criticism and negativity, people picking us apart fibre by fibre, then eventually the body ceases to exist. We lose our heart. We get so beaten down. That's not the way that Jesus calls us to be. Jesus calls us to humble ourselves before one another. Jesus calls us to, rather than elevate ourselves and assume that we have a better status a better perspective, a better idea of what should be done. Instead, we humble ourselves. We support one another. We grow together. We learn together. We share together. We laugh together. We encourage one another. One of the things that I've been so grateful for since I've been at NCBC is that I've found that attitude here. I think we do a pretty good job of that. 
And I'm so grateful to God for calling me to a church that has a group of people who are so encouraging, so uplifting, so helpful, so loving. But it's important we don't get complacent. It's important that we remind ourselves of the importance of those qualities, no matter how much we're already practicing them. We must never get complacent in the way that we serve one another. But of course, just to finish up with this morning, service goes beyond the church. When we're out in our communities, we need to have an attitude of service. That sense of humbling ourselves before others should be of paramount importance to us. It should define who we are. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That's the words of Jesus. He goes on to say, they will answer, Lord, when did, you, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You see, if we don't have that attitude of service, if we allow ourselves to become self-righteous, to be judgmental, if we allow ourselves to take on the clothes of righteousness but wrap them around us so tightly that they become self-righteous, then we don't let anybody else in. There is a whole world of people out there who are completely oblivious to the saving love of Jesus, completely oblivious to the difference that he can make to their lives completely oblivious to the way that Jesus can impact people today just as he has done for the past 2,000 years. Jesus makes the difference, the difference, the key difference and we are called to share that with people and Jesus himself says the way to do that is to humble ourselves, to act like servants to them because every time that we serve anyone, we're serving God. We are serving God. Sometimes we can come to church and we don't feel motivated to serve. We don't feel that that sense of, of desire, excitement. But we should. Because every one of us sitting here today who knows Jesus can look back at a moment in our lives and say, that's why I follow him. It's because I know that he's been there for me. I know that he's done things for me. He's answered prayers or he's performed healings or there's been a, a, a miracle that I just cannot explain other than saying that it's the, it's the presence and the power of Jesus in my life. We can always find motivation by looking back and taking ourselves back to that moment. But there's another motivation as well when we stop looking back and start looking forward. 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, Peter has a, I don't suppose he was a dad's army fan, but he has a bit of a private Fraser moment. We're all doomed. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Again, there's prayer at the heart of service. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 
Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Jesus says he'll come like a thief in the night. We have no idea when Jesus will return, but when he does return, we pray that he will find us in the midst of an attitude of serving, with a heart of humility, with a willingness and a desire, because when he returns, we will be, we will be beginning an eternity in the kingdom of heaven. An eternity in the kingdom of heaven, in the presence of our heavenly Father, And if that doesn't motivate us to to go out and to maybe put up with a few critics and a bit of a grumble and still manage to humble ourselves and still have that servant-hearted nature, if that's not our motivation, I don't know what is. Because that's the best news we can possibly have. Because for us, death is not the end. Death is not that, that final, painful, awful finish that renders a life pretty much worthless. Because you're born, you live, you die, and that's it. Instead for us, death is simply part of the massive, massive eternal picture of our lives. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Let us be a church that has a heart to serve let us continue to be a, heart, a, a church with a heart to serve. I've written down a few options. It's not an exhaustive list, but if you're sitting there thinking, okay, great, I'm up for this, Tom. That sounds great. What can I do? I've just jotted down a few ideas. How can your gifts be used? Well, first of all, you've got the gift of grace. So no one sits here today saying, well, I haven't got a gift. We all have a gift to share. It might be in the mission team, it might be with food bank, it might be with the fish team, it might be helping sow dementia blankets on Friday afternoons, it might be serving in a house group, it might be helping on an ALF course, it might be getting involved in the children's work or the youth work, on the coffee rotary, in the prayer team, in the finance team, with evangelism. It might be working with students, it might be helping out with some admin, it might be joining the maintenance team might be helping with church lunches that we have after services sometimes. It might be getting involved in special one-off events. It might be coming, coming along to Messy Church and helping out there or supporting Cafe Tots midweek. This is not an exhaustive list. You might be like the person recently who said, I'll give a couple of hours on a Monday morning helping to clean the church. No headlines, no... No self-promotion, just, I've got a bit of spare time, I'll do it. Or you might be like when Ed and Alice and Lynn and Steve looked around and saw the, well, we've got students, let's do something for them. I know, let's try and set up meals, get people to invite them round on a regular basis so they always have somewhere to go for lunch as often as possible. And it happens. Might be like the person who without anyone asking, just took on the role of getting to know each and every student that came in the door, saying hello. You see, what I'm saying is, 
We can serve in so many different ways. We don't have to wait for the church to say, we're going to do this massive big initiative and want everyone to get involved. Instead, just through these, these, these little groups, these little ideas that people think, well, actually, this is my skill set. I'm going to run with it. Fantastic. God will honor that. God will bless that. God will use that to edify the church, to build us up into what he wants us to be. Because there is always more we can do. So we celebrate that we are a church of servant-hearted individuals. And I'm so grateful to all of you who give up so much time and, and so self-sacrificial. But Paul writes in Romans that we should, be a living, we should give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Now, we don't take up an offering in our services. We do have a, a giving boxes on the, um, on the way out through those doors and in the coffee area over there. We've got the QR code and we've got the yellow envelopes and there's plenty of ways in which we can give. And I spoke of just before Easter about the importance of giving. And I urge you, if you haven't heard that sermon, to go back and to, to listen to that. But that was, that, was, that was talking about financial giving. But when we read that we should give ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's almost as if an offering plate goes by and we just say, do you know what, I'm getting on. I'm just, I'm just going to lay there, pass me along. And we're literally giving ourselves to God. And we say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want to use me for, I will do that. I will do that. When someone goes down into the, the baptismal pool and we, we baptise and we take them right down under the water, they don't, they don't die in there. <laughs> no, no one's died on me yet in the baptismal pool. But we do say they, their old self has died and this is a new self. It's a rebirth. This is a new life. Because at that moment, as you come up out of the water for baptism, we come out and it's, it's representing that, Lord, I'm following the example of Jesus I'm going down into the grave to my old self and I'm coming out and now in this world I am yours and I'm living for you and I want to be your servant. And that's such a privilege. It can be terrifying, it can be scintillating. But it's a privilege. Each and every one of us, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of life experience, regardless of profession, regardless of education, regardless of qualification, regardless of any other category you can think of, each and every one of us can serve God and can serve his church. There's one head in this church. It ain't me. It's Jesus. And we serve him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look back at the early church. We can look back at so much of scripture and learn. Always learn. And Father, we pray that you will bless us with that heart to serve, that heart to be involved in as much of church life as we can. Father God, we thank you for all those ministries that, that I just read out and I'm sure there are many, many more that I've, I've neglected to put on that list. But Father, we thank you for all of the service that is given through this church to your kingdom at the moment. But Lord, we pray for more. We pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes and open our hearts to recognizing the skills that we might be able to offer 
the gifts that you've placed within us. Lord, give us the boldness to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to serve you, to serve your church and to build your kingdom. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's finish this morning by worshipping together. Um, that was brilliant of Jill to bring forward some pointers for prayer this morning but I was reading a piece of the um, message during the week and it said there pray for your leaders and your pastors this is something we don't often do so if you just join me today in praying for our leaders of the church and our pastor so just Keep your eyes open, please, and look at Tom. Not at me. He's our pastor. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the leadership of this church. We want to thank you, Lord, especially for our pastor. We want to thank you, Lord, for Bev, who's just given up the job as secretary. Thank you for the work that she's done. But, Lord, we want to thank you now for Tom. We ask, Lord, that you'll walk with him daily. You'll take him by the hand, lead him forward. He has his own way of putting things across, Lord, bringing the Bible to us. We just pray for him, Lord, and ask you to bless him sincerely. And Lord, look after him, bless him, keep him in your care. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, George. So let's stand if uh, you're able and sing our final song.
So Father God, we give ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Father, use us this week, we pray. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever situations face us, Lord, give us the wisdom, give us the power of your spirit, your presence with us, that we may face any situations, that we may have any conversations in a way that, that honors you and reflects your goodness and your glory. Father, as we humble ourselves, let us remember we do not serve the world. We serve you. And there is no greater privilege. So bless us, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do join us for tea and coffee after the service. Have a wonderful week. God bless.